0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Annalee Bogus, a third-year medical student interested in emergency medicine, and you're listening to E-Med Cast, episode 13. <laughs> Today we're covering a topic that I'm really excited about, international emergency medicine and global health. International healthcare has always been something I've hoped to incorporate into my own career as a physician, so admittedly, much of this episode was to satisfy my own curiosities. We'll be talking with two ER physicians today that have had extensive experience in global health. First, we'll hear from Dr. Kate Douglas, a physician and fellowship director of international emergency medicine and global health at George Washington University. We'll be hearing about her training and international experience focusing on education, sustainability, and the development of emergency medical systems abroad. Later on, we'll hear from Dr. Steve Andescavige, an emergency physician out of Lincoln City, Oregon, that has had experience with international disaster relief and education in many parts of the world, including India, Iran, Mumbai, and Kenya. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to e Dr. Douglas. Thanks for being a part of the show. Awesome. I'm, I'm super happy to be here. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how global health plays a role in your career? Yeah, sure. So um, I am an attending
1: physician at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and I came to GW actually about 10 years ago now to do my fellowship in international emergency medicine. Did my fellowship here at GW. I've stayed on as faculty, and I've been the fellowship director in our International Emergency Medicine and Global Public Health Fellowship for the last, I guess, five or six years now. So, obviously, global health is really integrated in my own personal career in emergency medicine. I have participated in a lot of projects. It, one of the reasons I went into medicine in the first place was so pretty awesome that I found a way to be involved in global health and practice clinically as an emergency physician.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you've really found the perfect balance in your career. Would you mind sharing with us a bit some of the projects that you've worked on or experiences that you've had as a international healthcare provider?
1: Yeah, so I mean, that is that's a big question. When I when I was in fellowship, virtually every trip is some kind of systems building, capacity building, or educational partnership. Part of that is our mission in our global health division of GW. We really focus on sustainable interventions and educational capacity building. For example, we spent a couple of years doing a really cool project in Turkey where we were working with the local emergency physicians, the national EM group in Turkey, so the Emergency Medicine Association of Turkey. And we worked with them to build a training of trainers course that then delivered a curriculum to almost 2,500 general practitioners across the country of Turkey. I have worked in Ethiopia, I've worked in Peru, always working with kind of local, local emergency physicians usually, whether those people are just starting out in the pathway of EMED or They have, for example, like a specialty and maybe a small residency program kind of working with people to really build capacity and develop systems for providing emergency care. More recently, we're really working on these programs in India, we see these um, education and training programs in India. There was no recognized specialty of emergency medicine in India, and there were very few education and training programs. And so now we have 10 programs across the country that are very much like residency programs, building you know education and training capacity. And we have 250 residents in those programs. So we spend a lot of time really working on making sure that education is really high quality, um, figuring out novel ways to deliver education, and make sure that it's appropriate for the local setting and the local environment.
0: Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunities for educational programs abroad and ensuring that physicians are well-trained in the acute care of patients in an emergency setting.
1: Right. I think what you see is that EMED is still relatively new in so many places, but it's not just a specialty, it's also, it's the whole chain of survival, right? So if you imagine that you are somewhere in the world and you get into a car crash or what's true in India is like cardiovascular disease is incredibly prevalent. So, you know, you start having chest pain, like what is the chain of survival from the first minute when that happens to when you get Definitive care, and so it's recognition, it's whether or not there's EMS. If you're out in a rural area, it's certainly, it certainly doesn't have to be a physician you encounter, but whoever you encounter, you know, whomever is there, it's really working within the system that exists to build recognition and capacity to provide care. Our system here, where we have, you know, EMS, 911, universal number for getting immediate care, it just doesn't exist in so many parts of the world. So that's one, it's one part of what people are doing in international emergency medicine. There's so many other things that people are doing, which is one of the reasons the field is also so fascinating and super diverse.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it's a really exciting area of medicine to be a part of. What other types of opportunities are there for international medicine beyond education and capacity building that you focused on at GW? A lot of people are both starting and participating in fellowship programs,
1: and so going back a little bit, the whole scope of what people can do in international emergency medicine, when you look at the different fellowship programs that are across the country, it really can show you that there's wide differentiation. We at GW, we tend to focus more on systems building and educational capacity building, but also within the knowledge set of international emergency medicine, you have a lot of people who are working on humanitarian aid, a lot of people who are working on refugee care, a lot of people who are, you know, doing more basic field-level health projects, looking at disease epidemiology and really basic public health type projects rather than this kind of educational EM capacity building. All of that really falls under the scope of international emergency medicine, and so the scope
0: is super broad. Absolutely. It sounds like there's really a lot of flexibility and a lot of directions that you could take your career Uh, what kind of skill sets or attributes do you think emergency medicine physicians specifically bring to the field of global health?
1: You know, that's kind of a tricky question. I think one of the things that really attracts EM physicians is that we're trained kind of in a, a a broad set of skills. So we're good at doing a lot of different things, and we are trained to be flexible. And so the fact that we can care for pediatric patients, adult patients that were trained to look at an undifferentiated patient and come to diagnosis and stabilization is one of the things that makes emergency physicians really well suited. You're going to be operating in cases where you don't have a lot of diagnostics. You know, the, the classic dilemma, like what if they actually have two things going on at the same time, like a traumatic injury and an MI or something like that. The fact that we're trained in the acute care of an undifferentiated patient is really, really helpful. We also have some flexibility now. You know, we have some flexibility in our career and our scheduling where we can figure out how to make some international pieces fit into the the rest of our
0: lives. And in some ways, it's a little easier for us than other subspecialties. Sure. It definitely sounds like the lifestyle of emergency medicine lends itself a bit better to being able to have other interests outside of the department. I'm hoping you can speak a little bit on what types of opportunities in global health are available to medical students and residents that are interested in emergency medicine, and and what types of resources are available for these opportunities. Yeah,
1: so There are a lot of things that are available.
0: There are a multitude
1: of opportunities for students and residents to participate in electives. Now, I think that's jumping ahead a little bit. But the more experience you can find early on in your career to gain exposure to an international setting and learn more about what this kind of work is really like, the better. So there are definitely resources available kind of through your own home institution if if there are people in global health who are within the faculty in emergency medicine. If you're in an institution where you don't have faculty mentorship within global health, my next suggestion would be twofold. One is to take a look at the resources that are available through EMRA, which is Emergency Medicine Residence Association. And kind of as a parallel process, I would suggest taking a look to find someone like me or another fellowship director who is available and would be able to help to connect you to the region that you're looking for or help you to facilitate the rotation. If you reach out to so many of the fellowship directors, those of us who are running the International Emergency Medicine and Global Public Health Fellowship, most of us will get back to a student who's looking to do a rotation. If you want to do a rotation and you're reaching out to somebody, the more information you already have figured out, the better. Like, I would be interested in going to a Spanish-speaking country or I particularly want to go to a certain region for these specific reasons. Narrowing it down in that way will be helpful to then hook you up with the next person who's going to be able to help you identify your place. You know, put a little bit of forethought into it and then Reach out to one of the people in this kind of still very small and very organic community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. That's really, really great advice. I think one of the really special things about emergency medicine in particular is how willing everyone is to help medical students and to help guide with career advice. And it sounds like the international sector is really no different. So it's great to hear that such a small community is so open and so willing to help medical students and residents explore more of this field. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Most places have at least one faculty member who has a has an interest in global health. But all that being said, it's we're still a very small community of people and we're open and we want to help people to find their right career pathways. And fourth year medical students, if you're interested in exploring this field then take the time and go away and do something great. You know, do a great rotation, travel because you learn the most by
0: being out in the field. Absolutely. That's great advice. Um, I'm curious to kind of hear how, you know, beyond medical school, residency, and fellowship, how a physician with an interest in international health care incorporates that into their career as an emergency medicine physician. Most people who end up in academics in emergency medicine are now doing these fellowship programs. There are more than
1: 30 available now across the country with different academic institutions. And then that will also open a lot of doors, whether you want to go on to work full-time for an organization like MSF or Doctors Without Borders. And so some people want to go on to really work in that sector, in the humanitarian sector. Some people want to go on to work in community practice and spend a month or two doing international work a year. And there are people who have been able to figure out how to make that work, even outside of the academic sector of emergency medicine. And then there's a large group of us who work in academics and emergency medicine and also work in global health. And most of us maintain a clinical practice and do clinical shifts at home. And then we do intermittent Travel to contribute and kind of continue working on whichever projects we have going on overseas. Some people spend as much as six months or, you know, people spend extended periods of time overseas and others of us do more, um, intermittent travel. There's a lot of different ways to fit this all together and the more exposure you can have early on to different models, I think the more you can learn about what you want to do in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for sitting down and talking with us today, Dr. Douglas. I think we got a lot of really great advice and um, covered a lot of information. So thank you so much for taking the time.
1: All right, great. Thanks so much, Emily.
0: All right, so that was a lot of really great information. Let's summarize some key points. So as we talked about, international emergency medicine is a pretty new but really quickly expanding field with a lot of opportunities for medical students, residents, as well as fellows. And there's a lot of directions that you can take your career as an emergency medicine physician with a background in international healthcare. Training in emergency medicine specifically has many benefits in an international setting, such as having a broad scope of practice, training in the rapid assessment and diagnosis of undifferentiated patients, and having the ability to work as a part of a team. In addition, the lifestyle of emergency medicine lends itself to working on global health projects outside of the department a bit better than some other specialties within the field of medicine. And finally, there's a lot of resources available to students interested in global health, and getting international health experience early on in your career is important. Talking with your school's own global health department is a great place to start, as well as the EMRA website, which we'll include a link to in our show notes. You can also reach out to fellowship directors or faculty within your own school that work internationally. If you're going to be reaching out to a mentor or faculty member, be sure you have an idea of where you'd be interested in going and what types of projects you'd be interested in working on. All right, now to change gears a little bit, we're going to be talking with Dr. Steve Andescavage more about the specifics of the fellowship program in international emergency medicine and what exactly these programs look like. So I just want to hear a little bit about your experiences that you've had in international emergency medicine, kind of where you've taken your career with that.
2: Okay. So I get, let me just talk about my background. Did residency at University of Florida and did my fellowship in international health with George Washington University. And during that experience, I found it to be valuable because it really protects your your time to develop interests in international emergency medicine. So the the definition of international emergency medicine is kind of vague, but you can think of it as applying all of the facets of emergency medicine in a developing country that doesn't have all those resources. So that ranges from you know the actual practice of emergency medicine to perhaps setting up training uh, community members or physicians in emergency medicine to training EMS personnel and disaster protocols. So you take all the things that what we define as emergency medicine and it's putting it into a particular scenario. It might be, for example, with my fellowship, we spent a lot of time in India. And what we did there was basically set up a parallel residency for physicians to enter a training program where they would be recognized as emergency medicine physicians when they graduated. So it's kind of roundabout. Way to get to your question, but the experiences really are what you make of it. When you when you go through medical school and residency, you're you, you have to have so many measures that are captured. So you have to have medical school. You have to do so many classes. So you can sit for USMLE. When you're in residency, you have to so many rotations in, you know, internal medicine, surgery, emergency medicine, to, to make you competent so you're, you're trying to pass a test at the end. Well, in international emergency medicine, there is no test at the end. So it's a really protected time of one or two years where you can develop your own interests in what you're going to define as international emergency medicine. There is no curriculum, so it's what you make of it. It's easier to, to do that when you're in a fellowship because you have a lot of protected time, where if you just graduate from residency and get a job in the community, your, your partners are going to be happy if you're taking months off at a time to go do projects and things like that.
0: So it sounds like you, you know after residency, had this couple of years of really dedicated time to mm-hmm. working on projects abroad and just focusing your efforts on that time.
2: Yeah, and I didn't I didn't really have a specific goal, so it was kind of nice because I said yes to everything. So my program director, she would come up to me and say, hey, do you want to do this? I'd say yes, and I had a very varied exposure. I did some disaster medicine. We did a lot of academics. I mentioned our time in India. I worked with partners at USAID doing flu pandemic preparedness in Cambodia, some disaster preparedness for a rural community in Honduras working with faculty from other hospitals, particularly in Iran and in Egypt. We couldn't travel to Iran. We tried several times, but we were able to bring their faculty members over and give them an experience of what emergency medicine looked like from from our standpoint. So I think overall there is a slight academic um, predisposition to international emergency medicine.
0: So you talk about traveling to all of these different areas, and I imagine that you have skills in other languages, but also have probably traveled to places where you don't speak mm-hmm. the language.
2: I speak some Spanish, and that's about it, in English. But most medicine is taught in English and uses English texts, because that was a big concern. It's like, well, I'm going to be going to India and teaching pediatric emergency medicine, but it was never really an issue.
0: From my conversations with Dr. Douglas and also hearing from you, it mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of the projects are based around education, you know, like you were mentioning disaster mm-hmm. preparedness, but also educating physicians and emergency yeah. practices.
2: Yeah. So that, that was kind of our slant at George Washington University. We really went on program development. And as I alluded to earlier, there there is no curriculum for International emergency medicine. So some programs don't really do much of that at all, and they'll do more of humanitarian aid, conflict medicine, refugee medicine. So that that's kind of another area that I didn't have a whole lot of experience in, but certainly that that's encompassed in international emergency medicine, and that's that's totally different than what we were doing at George Washington University.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, you're making your own education at that point. Kind yeah,
2: of. it's really independent. It really yeah. is.
0: And what kind of experiences did you have in either medical school or residency that kind of sparked your interest you know, in international health care and got you thinking about this sure. fellowship program?
2: So as a medical student and resident, you're very busy. And my medical school ended up doing mission work in either Jamaica or Peru or, or Central America. And as one of your electives, you could elect to, to do this experience. And I did it twice. So it was it was pretty easy for me to get plugged in there. And if you're looking for advice, you know, how, how do you get involved? You know, I think the easiest thing to do is to look within your own medical school. Cause I, I would imagine most medical schools have some sort of outreach program. And that's that's the easiest thing because when you start to go out of your own medical school into the nonprofit world or another medical school, I could see some problems with your medical school approving these rotations and that kind of a thing. But I don't think it's a, a game-breaker or a deal-breaker if you don't have a whole lot of international experience because the fellowship directors, they're emergency doctors too, and they know what medical school and residency is like. In, in my residency, we had one month of elective. You know, emergency medicine, there's a lot to learn in three years. You know, it, it, you know, if you didn't start your own orphanage in Chile, don't worry about it. You know, it, you're you're busy, and the program directors recognize that when you're applying to fellowship.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So going back a little bit to projects that you worked on during mm-hmm. fellowship and mm-hmm. things, you mentioned some disaster preparedness and projects like that. So can you kind of elaborate?
2: Sure. It actually started out with a partnership between Columbia University and some faculty there and some faculty at George Washington University. And they were already working in Mumbai at the University of Mumbai with two hospitals. One was a large public hospital and the other one was a smaller private hospital. And we planned a citywide disaster drill. It involved like 800 people. So part of that involved training the physicians that were going to be in the mercy department. So making sure that they could triage. And part of that too is, you know, how do you register all these people that are coming in, in the hospital? So we had to prepare their administration, like, you know, how are we going to triage people? You know, what happens at the hospital and what happens at the field and how these are communicated. So it ended up being a very large project took months, and it culminated into a day where we mocked a bombing out of a bus, and we think we had maybe 100 patients from that. I mean, it was real. They, they took a car out. They didn't, they didn't bomb it, but they lit it on fire, and they, they called the fire department. The fire department came, and they put out the fire, and then the police were there. And then there were also some community activists that participate in these drills, and, and they kind of helped organized and of course there was media which we wanted because that's part of the reality of, of a disaster so you know how do you control the media how do you get your ambulances in how do you secure that nothing else is going to happen so I was in the field for a little bit there and then I jumped on one of the ambulances and then it became like just an observer and just watching how the registration process went, how the triage process went. The physicians would do an exam. If something was critical, like a chest tube, they'd have to place a chest tube and, and just not say you did it. They'd, they'd say, you know, the nurse, go get me a chest tube. And because they want to make sure they had the supplies to do all these things. They'd even send people to, to the CAT scanner and you know, no one got a CAT scan, but they just want to really test their systems and they did pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's a quite, quite a huge yeah. project. And then Really looking at it from all sides, too, it's pretty fascinating. Like you mentioned, looking at the media aspect of it, too, yeah. and then the pre-hospital EMS. The media is
2: crazy. I mean, the, they didn't have any control of it. And I got a picture of it. Um, so I'm jumping in in the back of the ambulance with a patient, and I turn around, and there's like eight cam, eight guys with cameras just right out of the back of it. I just took a picture of it. That was just a memory that just sunk in with me. Like you, I don't think it's something you would predict if you didn't go through a, a drill like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and make it as realistic as mm-hmm. possible.
2: So what I learned from that, my my kind of capstone experience, was to apply this disaster management to Moy University in Kenya. I worked with a trauma surgeon there who is from Eldoret, which is a border town between Uganda and Kenya. And unfortunately, there's a lot of tribalism and ethnic violence, and especially around election time. So it's a it's a rural place. You know, it takes an eight-hour bus ride from Capital Kenya to get there, but a pretty good functioning hospital. And basically, the trauma surgeon and I held a three-day conference where we train this essentially rural hospital how to triage and how to mitigate the influx of patients during a disaster. So that was kind of my culminating experience for the, for the fellowship.
0: Yeah, so a lot of prevention and, and training.
2: Yeah. Almost all these fellowships have an advanced degree, and, and almost all of them are a master's of public health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a, a really strong push for preventative medicine.
0: That's great. It sounds like, I mean, it's super interesting to hear you talk about these, you know, really diverse experiences that you've had, and like I mentioned, I think kind of the international emergency medicine is kind of this really general term that is really appealing, and a lot of people have an interest in it, but it's tough to know exactly what that means and what that
2: looks like. So, I actually did a research project as a fellow. We did this huge survey of all the residency programs and said, And the fellowships and we asked them flat out you know would you want a curriculum developed and no they don't because they really want you know it's so varied I mean what what would that curriculum look like I don't think you can put your finger on it so but some of the good things that came out of that was uh, the development of a a website that actually has a database now and I'll I'll give you that Um, it's IEMfellowships.com and there's you know that's a good place to start looking and if you've got questions there's emails phone numbers um, and you can reach out and just say i'm a medical student looking to possibly enter international fellowship are there projects that you need help with do you have recommendations you know it's a very small community and another thing that we found out too is um, the growth of this field is is really taking off so we're kind of in the the golden age of international emergency medicine. I, I, I think I counted 46 fellowships. So it's kind of a, it's a growing growing field, and there's a lot of interest there. So I think it's, it's a good opportunity to, to get in there if, if that's what you're interested in.
0: Absolutely. It, it's interesting because you absolutely echoed the same point that Dr. Douglas was saying, is that it's such a small community, although it is growing really rapidly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fellowship directors are really Really open to helping out medical students and really open to mentorship and all of that.
2: Yeah, it is a small community, and people are helpful. So I I think you shouldn't be worried about reaching out. Um, There is also another website I want to share, and that is saem.org, and that's the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine. And there is a a link to all the fellowships, not not just international, but all the emergency medicine fellowships. So if you have other interests, um, they're, they're listed there. But those would be two, two good databases to really look at if you want more information. Um, another th- another thing I want to mention is there is a fantastic course offered by Johns Hopkins University. Um, and I don't have any affiliation with Johns Hopkins, but I, I did take this course part of our fellowship. It's called the HELP course, which stands for the Health emergencies in large populations, and it is a fantastic course, talking about almost every aspect of refugee medicine, and you know how do you set up a refugee camp, what are some of the diseases you'd encounter, <clears throat> how do you work with local cultural norms. It is a intense course. Uh, I think they offer it two or three times a year, um, but the speakers are amazing, and. It may be possible, if, if you're a medical student, to get that for credit if you need an elective. But it, that would be a fantastic way to really introduce yourself to you know, what's out there in international and global health.
0: That's excellent. Thank you. So it sounds like you have some really great advice for students that are looking ahead to to yeah. emergency medicine and possibly international health care. Um, and we'll, we'll post links to the websites on our okay. our website well I mean that's awesome I think we covered a lot I think do you have any other any other points or tidbits you'd like to add um,
2: just you know it'll fall into place for you okay. if you if you want to pursue it I mean there's there's a lot of opportunity try to do well in medical school you know be a good doctor get good training in residency and uh, you know don't don't harp on you know that you need to you know, do rotations that, you know, you want to have some travel experience, having a preventative medicine mindset would be helpful, um, so if you can, you know, maybe take an elective in, in public health or something, that would be, that would be helpful for you, but um, I, I think it's a great opportunity, a great time to get involved in, in these type of um, I mean, projects because they're, they're growing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for talking with us and giving us a little more insight into global health and emergency medicine. Okay, thank you. All right, so once again, let's touch on some key points. So these International Emergency Medicine Fellowship programs are popping up all across the country. They're essentially two years of dedicated time to obtaining a master's in public health and working on projects abroad. With no set curriculum, these programs are self-driven, and they're really what you make of them. While getting international experience is helpful, fellowship directors also understand the demands of medical school and residency, and this isn't a make-or-break point, although experiences in public health can also be beneficial. There's some other great ways to gain exposure to international emergency medicine, and the HELP, or Health Emergencies in Large Populations course at Johns Hopkins University is a great introduction to the field. IEMfellowships.com is a website that acts as a central database for all international emergency fellowship programs across the country. SAEM.org is a great database for exploring all fellowship programs, not only those in international emergency medicine. Once again, we'll be posting all of these links in our show notes on our website at emegcast.com. Well, that's it for us for the month of December. A huge thanks once again to Dr. Douglas and to Dr. Scavage. We'll be back after the new year, so be sure to tune in then.
2: Thanks for listening to EveningCast.com! This podcast represents only the views of its producers and does not represent the views of OHSU or any affiliated institutions. And
0: while we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we're still learning and we ask that our audiences keep in mind that medicine is a constantly changing science and
2: art. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine, who we'd like to thank for their continuing support. We do not accept money from any other sources. Thanks again for listening, and
0: we'll see you next time.